Hello and welcome to With Relish on the Headstuff Podcast Network. I'm Harry Colley. And I'm Aoife Allen. If this is your first time listening in, welcome to the show. We're a fortnightly food podcast looking at all things good in the Irish culinary scene. If you like what we've done so far, please feel free in hitting subscribe and writing us a review. On today's programme, we're going to have a discussion about the ethics of eating meat. So, I suppose even myself have been talking a lot about this recently. Neither of us are vegetarians. We both mm. do eat meat. I think we have a certain view on the way that we eat meat. I know that you and myself both kind of like would not be super meat focused cooks. No, not or, at all. Or at home wouldn't, you know, really buy meat. I don't meat. really buy meat, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> but eat it and taste it at work. Absolutely. Um, and the kind of cooking I like to do is using meat as a seasoning, like little bits of meat rather than big chunks of meat. Yeah. You know. I often don't cook for myself. I often eat food while I'm out and there mm. it will kind of most of the time be something that is meat focused. Whether yeah. that's like a bowl of noodles that's got made with a chicken broth and then it's mm. got beef and stuff in it or it might be like a hungover chicken fillet roll or something like that. Something yeah. that's like a real sad animal yeah. Yeah, that yeah, I yeah, just yeah. ate. Yeah. But I suppose so it's come up recently for me anyway. I know that so as a cook we work with animals all the time. And and every once in a while, I check in with myself. I remember like the first time I did a butchery course, I was about 19 or so. And then a couple of years later, I started working with like whole deer with a chef of mine. And there's something about the kind of entirety of an animal. Yeah. Like seeing this thing not portioned, not in a packet, not... Not sanitised. Not sanitised, exactly. Yeah. That makes it quite not real. de-animalised. Yeah, totally. And so last year I did a dinner in the family where it was all wild game. And you were there. (laughs) You were there, so was I. (laughs) But it was kind of my job. Yeah, it was my job that time to kind of, we had like 20 different birds, whole feathered birds, which had come from a guy who had shot them in the woods somewhere. Mm. And they were lovely, happy, healthy birds and blah, 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 blah. And that was the last time I think that I checked in with myself about kind of like the ethics of eating meat. Mm Because you see that animal with its head, with its feathers, with its guts, with everything. With its beauty. With its beauty, yeah. And it it looks just much more like an animal than it does a piece of meat. And then you have to like process it and, in order to turn yeah. it that way and I was fine with that that was, that was the last time that I checked in with myself on on the ethics of eating meat and I was like I'm still cool with this this yeah. is still a fine thing but I do remember at that time you saw, you noticed one of the birds recent meals came up yeah. and that really affected you at the time I remember or yeah. you thought in the moment anyway it affected you for sure yeah because they have they have like a gullet where they yeah. keep loads of grain and stuff yeah. so when I cut off the head just like all of these like perfectly formed grains just kind of came forward. Spilled I was like, out. Oh, yeah. uh, you do I, things that I do. Yeah. <laughs> you eat grain too? You store whole grains in your mouth for days at a time like me. <laughs> but I suppose things changed recently. About just over a month ago now, my family dog died mm. and he followed so me home when I was 11. Um, Finn was his name. And uh, he was a beautiful border collie. Um, who was with us for 18 years. So, you know, he was mm. an old, 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 old dog and a happy out chap. Yeah. And it was actually the day that we recorded with Torin from Two Boys mm. Brew that afterwards I was being very like, oh, hi, welcome to the studio, blah, blah, blah. But actually I went to go and put my dog down yeah. after that. And that was like horrible, horrible and horrific and terrible. It's always terrible to lose a family member, sure. do you know, um, human or not. Yeah, absolutely. And so this kind of draws up some of the stuff One with saying. even less annoyingly complex emotional relationships. Yeah. You know, just like a very loving relationship that doesn't have the weird tensions that you have with humans. You know? <laughs> so in a way, it's actually a nicer relationship yeah. in some ways that you can have with it. I know me and Finn never had a bad, <laughs> bad You never had a bad yeah. word. Oh, poor Finn. Um, but anyway, no, but you know, like a happy, mm. beautiful, lovely dog who lived to a ripe, ripe old mm. age. And so then three weeks after Finn had died, I was working on another job where I was kind of 
forced not forced but i chose to do loads of pigs heads mm. and so not animals in their entirety but like pigs heads so i had like yeah. seven pigs heads there that i was working on and i was doing a dinner called cochinita pibil which is like this mexican thing it's absolutely delicious it's pork that's wrapped in banana leaf and then there's achiote in there which is this uh yucatan spice and it's like really really bright and you cook it for like nine hours and it's this amazing thing that you just serve on tacos and with loads mm. of other fresh things but so i cooked that and in order to do so i had to work on all these like pigs heads um, and it was that moment with like there was the next time that I was like checking in with myself about the ethics of eating mm. meat whereby I was holding them and their nose yeah. their snouts felt just like fins Yeah, there was no disturbing. difference there and like to yeah. see the head mm. that's the soul that's the that's the that's where the intelligence is contained and the thinking and the decision making and all those things so yeah. it feels very so close had again, that, had I been working did. on shoulders I wouldn't ever you wouldn't have give a f- no, no, exactly or I wouldn't <laughs> yeah. have, I wouldn't have again confronted that yeah the, you know the eyes and the mouth and everything we can really identify with absolutely and so parts. and so I I found it quite difficult I found the experience of like mm. working with the pigs heads quite difficult whereas I've worked with them tons of times before but I got myself to a position where I don't know where that arbitrary line is drawn yeah. between food and family. And it's completely arbitrary. And that's what I'm finding more and more difficult with meat eating. I think I was a very conscious meat eater and cook with meat for a long time. I read this book, uh, Eating Animals by Jonathan Safran for, I think, 10 years ago. And it, it's a really sensitive study of factory farming and kind of how we've landed where we are. It's not preachy. It's not advocacy. But it's really thoughtful and really beautiful. And it explores the way animals think and it explores the differences between animals in the wild, animals in small domestic settings uh, when they're domesticated, but in kind of small holdings, and then animals as they exist, and kind of the modifications that have been made to them to make them processed like dead animals, essentially, yeah. even though they've been kept alive. So yeah. there's a really cool line in it where he says, I wonder when somebody started thinking about livestock as already being dead, you know, treating them as if they're already dead, as if they're stock just to be stacked up. And stored and then just lashed through a processing and out the other side, you know. So since then, I've had a real difficulty with the idea of factory farm meat. But I was always pretty comfortable with the idea of, you know, like wild game or nicely reared outdoor animals and things like that. And then in the last few months, I just started having these thoughts. I'm like, but what, what gives us the right? Yeah. So, yeah, kind of as with the Jonathan Safran 4 book, this episode isn't about advocacy or activism or trying to convince people not to eat meat. It's more of... You know, just trying to get to the bottom of why it is that or try and have a bit of a think at least about why it is that we eat animals in such volumes in most parts of the world now, even though we know more and more about animals. The family dog is revered and the pig, which, you know, displays loads of similar characteristics and traits to dogs. They're playful, they're social, they're inquisitive, they're fun loving. You know, why do we consider them totally okay? to essentially just store in factory conditions, in warehouse conditions, and then slaughter in this kind of mechanised, mass-produced kind of way. So it's kind of having those conversations. I remember when I was in Vietnam as well, um, I ate so much stuff. I ate like almost anything that, well, every, everything that came across my way, apart yeah. from one thing, which was dog. Yeah. And that was where I drew the line. Yeah, and I recognized that as an, at the time as an inconsistency in my moral compass. Do you know where I was like, I'm eating all of these other animals, but here I'm here I am after dog, like, and I'm that's like, wrong. No thanks. But this is a okay. The other stuff, you know. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that because that's how you've been conditioned. You've had a family dog all your life. It would seem as revolting, I would imagine, as eating my human. little brother on a spit. Yeah, well, kind of, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's it, it's a really messed up idea to eat dog when you've grown up with them being companions and protectors and friends. And, you know, it just yeah. would seem totally wrong. I think I'm in a slightly different place to you in that I've started, I'm still cooking with meat and I'm still eating meat. I'm 
and the hypocrisy was massive <laughs> because I've really started to have a kind of endless loop now where I'm thinking this is wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it actually doesn't matter if the bird was flying through the sky until the moment of death. Yeah. It doesn't matter if, you know, the pig is a rare breed that had the most wonderful life eating delicious herbs in a lovely field with all his pals. I know that there are alternative ways to nurture myself and I still make the decision to eat something that was alive. And it's starting to feel like it's a case of I do it just because I can, not mm-hmm. because I should, you know. And it feels a bit rotten at the moment. But it's going to be very interesting to talk to our guest today about these subjects. And um, we've got Keith Coleman, who's the chef at FIA. And he was vegetarian for eight years. Eight, seven or eight years, yeah. I think he told me he was, eight, he was vegetarian, yeah. Yeah, and, and made a, a very considered cook, as you said. Yeah, yeah, and made the decision to go back to meat. And I suppose we want to hear what he has to say. Because you know, Keith is like, I think, a super romantic cook. Yeah. Do you know, he's the kind of guy who will get up at six o'clock in the morning or even earlier to go out to the farm to go and see the vegetables that he's going to pick up yeah. to cook in the cafe for the he's day. He's meticulous, yeah. Absolutely meticulous. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, made that decision to go back to being a meter. And I'd imagine a made it with a lot of thought. I can't yeah. imagine it was just a I fancy a cheeseburger kind of a moment. Or maybe it is. Or maybe it is. We'll, we'll wait and out. see. Yeah. Yeah. And we're also going to talk to Lillian, who is, I think, uh, Assistant Professor of Philosophy at Trinity College. Um, so we, like we said, we didn't want this to be a sort of a space for the activism around vegetarianism no. it's just a considered it's chat. just a chat it's very much just and like what you and I are speculating on at the moment yeah. we're not telling I anybody feel to like be she might be able way. to like help us take a big step back yeah. from the ethics you know the ethical ethical choices that people make the ethical frameworks that we all operate with the tricks and lies that we tell ourselves the, thing, the way that we can kind of can make it okay in your mind to eat all the pig you want and give it zero thought like no thought about where it came from and then like balk at the idea of a dog being cooked so I think it's going to be a really interesting one. Yes. Yeah. Maybe not a laugh a minute. <laughs> no, but thought-provoking. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, yeah. So Hopefully who, with yeah. some really crass and inappropriate laughs along the way. No doubt. Harry and I are joined by the lovely Keith Coleman of FIA in the studio today. Mm-hmm. Um, Keith is a former colleague of mine, former colleague of yours, Harry. We Did you overlap somewhat. A little bit, yeah. yeah. Okay. I was like I was like the new Keith. I was Keith's replacement. Were you? Yeah. Okay. I was yeah. the new Jesse, I think. Oh, okay. Or the new Marek. I'm not sure which. Keith is going to tell us a little bit about his, you know, life and work cooking with meat, not eating meat for a long time, then eating meat again and the kind of cooking he wants to do with meat and whether he's mm. comfortable with it at the moment. So Keith, yes, thank you very much for coming on with Relish. And I suppose the first question we have for you is, um, how did you end up being vegetarian in the first place? Maybe for a lot of people, it's I think it revolves around like a lifestyle choice, which I think is something that you definitely see more and more of now. But for me, it was just a really bizarre kind of happening that I think I was like 15 or 16, staying at a friend's house and we're having like sausage and bacon and egg, sambos. And uh, about 20 minutes later, I was just violently ill. Um, And I was bedridden, I'd say, for about three or four days afterwards. And then there's this kind of whole rigmarole of, I thought I had food poisoning, thought it might've just been like a winter vomiting bug. Really didn't know what was going on, but I was really like just on the verge of thinking I was going to die like it was just the most excruciating pain like I couldn't move in bed suddenly my dad was off to work one day he was too afraid to leave me at home so he took me with him and I was like lying down in the back of his like high ace van it's kind of like a regular occurrence like if you're off sick from school like my dad would just have to take you to work and you put you in the van stay in the van yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, with so the bucket was, yeah exactly yeah <laughs> yeah bucket and a cheese sandwich um, <laughs> And so, yeah, we were outside Connolly Station and uh, I needed to go to the toilet. And I went in and when I tried to make my body go to the toilet, I fainted from the pain. Oh, my, oh my God. God. Woke up again. What and then my dad was like, eat? you know, kind of typical Irish dad. 
Maybe there's something wrong with you. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we'll take you to the doctor. I went to the doctor and he looked, kind of took off my top, took one look at me and he was like, uh, appendicitis. Mm. Oh. Like really severe. Like usually they kind of do all these tests where, I don't know if you've ever had appendicitis I or haven't yeah. suspected of it. Yeah. So they kind of do all these tests oh. where they, they'll push in on like different parts of your stomach. Mm. And when you release it and you didn't even need to go near me, it was one of those like. See it popping clear out. Course. Yeah. So <laughs> straight into Vincent's hospital. Uh, I don't think it actually exploded in the end, but like it was very close. Mm. Straight into surgery. And then, then the following morning when I woke up, so the whole time since from eating that, like the the fateful bacon, egg and sausage sandwich, yeah. I didn't eat like the whole time I was kind of bedridden. Yeah. Um, so then I woke up in the morning after the operation and the first thing that was down in front of me was a plate of sausage, bacon <laughs> and eggs. Yeah, well. <laughs> I thought you guys were going to be like the sausage got snagged in your appendix. Oh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and, and then they gave it to me on a plate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> this is this There's your appendix. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, it was just really bizarre. And it was just created yeah. like such an adverse reaction to the, I think it was the smell. Yeah. And then it just was one, I went home and was kind of like convalescing and just trying to get better again. And I just had this really weird relationship with food from then on. And it was just like. With food in general, not just meat. Yeah, I think so. Just a bit traumatized. Yeah, because yeah. it was the first time I'd ever had like, well, what I thought was like an adverse reaction to something that yeah. I'd eaten. And yeah. it kind of just like turned my whole world upside down and made me look at things like, well, just, I suppose, like evaluate what I was eating and what I was putting into my mouth. And yeah, I remember like just going like, well, I think I'm just going to be vegetarian now and cue my mum, typical kind of Irish mammy, you know, I'm not cooking you a second dinner yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, so yeah. you can feed yourself. And then mm. that's actually how I learned how to cook. And no that sort of started the whole getting interested in food kind no of way. thing. And yeah. So it wasn't like, it wasn't lifestyle choice. And I was never like, do you know, if you went around to a friend's house and the moment like put on like a roast turkey or something, I wasn't going to be the guy who was yeah. going to, you know, get up and walk away from the dinner table. Yeah. Because yeah. You're murderous. that's just rude. Yeah. 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 Um, so I'd eat the thing that I have an awful problem with. And so, <laughs> yeah. And so, so you learned to cook kind of from the start as a vegetarian. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay. Which, yeah, that's, in I never really thought, I never really think about these things too much, but that definitely greatly affected me because now like I feel having gone back to eating meat, I'm definitely much more informed, not only about meat because I've been off it for so long, but also just about cooking vegetables and that kind yeah. of, you know, you start so from scratch and you're like, all right, I need to make a pasta sauce or I need to like do, do you know, you're doing like the real basic things. Yeah. Mine went the um, other way for a long time because I learned how to cook with meat. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like the yeah. very first thing I ever learned to make oh, was a, a pan fried chicken with a targan cream yeah. sauce that my dad taught me to do when I was 12. Yeah. Do you know? And it was one of these things where fundamentally you're getting a fond stuck in the bottom of a pan. You're deglazing that. Yeah that juice that's from an animal and then you're adding cream to that yeah. another animal product and you're reducing it do you know what I mean like it was always based around the best bits are the bits that are burnt animal yeah. and that's how I, nobody ever said animal I'm being really sensationalist here yeah. but like yeah, you, but the best bit is the blood yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that uh, yeah but that's so that the way I learned to cook was that and then it was getting older and further into my career where I kind yeah. of had to learn how to make vegetables delicious on their own without the help yeah. of meat and the more you look into um, the cuisines of other cultures I think the easier that becomes yes. when you realise that oh actually it's not everywhere in the world that a big lump of meat protein in the middle of the plate and then afterthoughts around it yeah. is yeah. how people eat the way yeah. we eat in this country is so bizarre yeah. compared to the rest of how the world eats like it's yeah. you don't really see that until you do leave and travel and yeah. see the way other cultures like actually uh, have a reverence like you know there's no reverence yeah. for anything in this country except for the church maybe like but yeah. that was yeah. forced upon us like but there's no reverence surrounding food in this country and like Maybe that's kind of what's missing. Like, doesn't matter if you're vegetarian or if you eat meat, because you probably know, like myself, like when I was growing up and I was vegetarian, 
it was like pasta with pesto and pizza and like for a lot of vegetarians mm. I yeah. think that's how it is like yeah. most vegetarians just eat absolute junk food yeah, risotto yeah, yeah. I'd say um, they're sick to death of risotto yeah. Yeah, yeah rather than learning how to do really beautiful things with lovely vegetables yeah. that will grow here yeah. very easily which know? I'm talking about because that's eating out I mean like yeah. you have the power to do whatever you want at home should you have but the interest in it but yeah but it's eating really out hard is for super limited for sure <coughs> like you said there's no reverence for vegetarian cooking here as well so I think for a lot of vegetarians coming up it's probably improving a little bit now and you can yeah. certainly access very nice food outside of home mm-hmm. but there's just no culture of cooking beautiful vegetarian food in Ireland What's the way the there might be elsewhere without it being such a you know niche thing Yeah. yeah. Know? what kind of meats do you use in FIA? so I'd say first and foremost like we work mostly with pork just because we mostly use like animal products by that i mean like so we're using like fingal's amazing ham fingal's treeso this is good beans yeah Yeah. from good bean down in uh just outside school um and that's really just a logistical thing like just the size of fia at the moment we have like we have two fridges out the back and a service fridge and essentially i say 80 percent of the time that's just full of mcnally's veg Mm. um and so, yeah, it's something that we would love to try and work more with. We have cured our own fish and we've done like a few kind of bits and pieces, especially like where the dinners were concerned. But at the moment, it's just a logistical thing. Like we actually can't cook meat the way we want to just based on the size of the place. So we work more with products that are just, you know, easier to store in the fridge. Yeah. And, and what's what's your ideal way of cooking with meat? Um, I think it would definitely be heavily influenced by like having spent like two weeks working in Lyles in London, just being exposed to that sort of like the Fergus Henderson St. John's kind of like the Bible of like nose, nose to tail. Tail. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think for a lot of people, it's a real kind of it's a buzzword and you see it kind of like thrown around a lot. And I don't know nowadays, like how much people are restricting themselves to it or following it closely. But definitely in Niles, it was a case of like there was real, you know, there was real husbandry involved in when like a whole animal came in because it wasn't just a cut that came in and you were going to cook it straight away. You're working with the whole animal and certain parts of the meat needed to be cured you know some parts we turned into salamis we were making copper then we were like wrapping the loins in like you know liver fat and then you know dry aging that and it's more like i think it just makes you diversify what you can do because yeah. you're kind of stuck with like this is this huge animal you need to we use have all to it. process it now yeah, yeah, exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah so ideally like down the line that's the way i would love to work mm-hmm. okay um, and just to be more involved in like i think the word like product definitely defines the way that we work with meat now because everything comes in plastic processed wrap. good to yeah. Go, yeah, yeah and it's everything's been salted it's ham or it's you know if it's black pudding or treeso so actually being able to like step away from that and make those things ourselves and they'll probably end up being more delicious only because you're making them yourself totally yeah and yeah i think you're doing it to your own taste yeah yeah exactly yeah. which is why i think stuff, which is really nice yeah in feel like a lot of the dishes aren't meat like heavy or focus mm. a lot of the meat because i don't really want them to be because i think if I was processing the, processing the meat myself, then I would love to like kind of put that on the plate and be like, all right, this is like an amazing like uh, piece of liver or like an amazing piece of like pig's head that we've had like the opportunity to work with from like start to finish. Whereas like with the McNally stuff, you know, you go out to the farm, you get to see where all the veg grows, yep. you clean it, you wash it, you process it, and you're like really proud to like put it yeah. on the plate. Celebrate that then. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I used the word processed earlier, which is not to say that it is like highly processed, highly like yeah. sugary crap food that come in a freezer. No. Like a process is in like it was a it it's just something that you didn't. It's gone through make a process. Yeah. It's yeah, gone exactly, through a process. Yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly. Just for any to clear any confusion. Yeah. Yeah. So when and why did you go back to eating meat after your very so, unusual journey? Yeah. <laughs> Starting with appendicitis at 15. Very bizarre. Uh, yeah, I had the same experience with Turkish Delight. Oh, I really? had a ru- ruptured appendix when I was 11. And the oh, last no. thing I ate before it was a Turkish Delight. And even the l- 
sight of that rapper now turns my stomach. Go away. Because oh, no. I, well, I knew what I knew what you were going to say when you were talking about that pain. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. I was vomiting like green bile for two days until my sister was like, take her to hospital. She's feel, really ill. I feel really left out. Harry, yeah. it's something you never want to be part of. Penix is just kind of it's bubbling away down there. It's incredibly unpleasant. Yeah. But so, why cheat meat? Go on. I think it actually, yeah. So myself and Ash, after we both finished college, Ash is your... Ash is my fiancé who works in FIA. She kind of takes care of the front of house. I'm in the kitchen. Yeah, we kind of just luckily finished college at the same time, sort of at a loose end. I, I So I finished up with a degree in environmental science, but the whole time I was doing it, I knew that it wasn't something I was cut out for. I didn't, you know, I was really interested in it, but actually to do it as a job was a whole different a whole different ball game. Mm. Um, and I didn't really know where I wanted to see myself going. Like, growing up, like... My dad is a carpenter and I always sort of just thought that's what he did. Like he just kind of became what your dad was. And then it was kind of at the time of the recession and it was a bit, you know, my dad was like heavily discouraging me going into a trade. So then I went to college in the end. But yeah, going away to New Zealand was just going away with an open mind, not necessarily, you know, looking for any answers or mm. but just just going to a different country. And so we did like a lot of woofing, which is like sort of working on organic farms for, you know, in, in return for uh, free board and food. And uh, mostly working with like very like small scale farmers. Like the first one we worked with, they had like two big uh, blueberry polytunnels. So we just kind of spent a lot of time like knitting the tunnels and like picking blueberries. And it was great to just get connected to to growing food actually. And then because I was really really interested in cooking, like I sort of was just always deemed the sort of unofficial cook for whoever was was uh, woofing on the farm at the time. And that was a really amazing, like really amazing experience. And then we did work on farms where people were killing their own meat. Um, so actually on that farm in particular, the guys would like kill four chickens a year and then that's all they would have. And, you know, those guys like really had a strong reverence around food because they've raised these animals and they've, you know, had to go out and kill four of their own chickens. So mm-hmm. imagine like, you know, four times a year you're going to have chicken. How good is that chicken going to taste? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Like This um, is very romantic, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> very romantic. Are you making this up? And yeah, we kind of like moved around. I was sort of, again, like sort of loosely vegetarian I wasn't um yeah I've never been too preachy about the whole thing and so everyone's always that you go and work with is always like generally like very open-minded you know I think maybe if you're a vegan it probably might not work because mm. um you sort of just have to eat what you're given a lot of the time and um, so you do need to be kind of open-minded with that and uh, one of the farms you're working on I can't remember his name now Kim actually is his name Canadian guy um their sort of like kind of hobby I guess in a way was to like raise uh like very very high quality uh, beef cattle so I think before we'd arrived like the year before he was working with like Dexter cows oh, yeah. and before probably with like Wagyu at the at the time they were working with like Hinterwelders which the kind of like the classic like Swiss mountain cows like that you see on the front of like you know Dairly ads and all that kind of stuff mm. the reason they did it was to really to showcase like the quality of these like sort of uh, lesser known breeds of cows uh, with the end goal of there's a competition in New Zealand. I don't think we have anything here similar to it, but it's called like the steak of origin where you essentially like you raise a cow, you send off the slaughter. Uh, I think it could be the ribeye that's judged. So basically you send your ribeye to a competition and uh, yeah, they taste it. And for him, it was a great way of like showcasing like, and for everyone actually of showcasing all these different breeds and all this kind of stuff, like heirloom breeds of, I don't even know if you used the word heirloom for cattle. Yeah, it's like heirloom tomatoes. Heirloom tomatoes. Rare breed. Heritage. Yeah, rare or heritage breeds. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So the year that we were on that farm, we were only there for a couple of months, but uh, we were taking care of these cows. One of the, the one that was sent off, like, was called Pierre. Like, we were there, like, when he was getting like <laughs> loaded up into the truck and everything. And Pierre. it was a great experience to have because most of us just feel completely disconnected to yeah. 
to what we eat as as having been like an animal that was alive um at the time like i was still a vegetarian even though like on that farm i did shoot my first animal um it was just a possum out of a tree but over there it's it's like trapping a mouse you know it's not for them it's a it's a rodent and uh yeah but then very very big yeah (laughs) so you're out like in these farms and you're kind of like in the middle of nowhere and the evening time was usually kind of just taken up with sort of just like general sort of chit chat and he was the first person who like most people would be like oh like you know vegetarian come to the farm like that's grand you know we can accommodate and he really like challenged myself just to think more about the kind of decisions that i was making so his i still remember this like, conversation if you can imagine like the the ethics of eating animals and the whole sort of world of like eating animals at the moment like if you can imagine it's like a two-sided scale at the moment like the demand for like highly processed really low quality really mistreated animals like mm-hmm. it's everything is kind of heavily weighed in that favor and then mm-hmm. on the other end you've got the way they were doing things like on a much smaller scale and working with like whole animals and treating animals well um everything is heavily uh, weighted to the way that we're doing things at the moment the majority of us but if you'd like decide to be a vegetarian all you're doing is like you're stepping off one side of the scales and you're kind of you're walking away from the problem mm-hmm. whereas if you decide okay I'm going to stop eating like heavily processed meat. I'm going to like try and only go to the butchers and like, you know, try and inform myself a little bit. You're stepping off one side of the scales, but you're also stepping you're, onto the other side. You're economically going one way and then that's kind you're of You're supporting the other a different side. Yeah, exactly. You're supporting a different yeah. way of eating meat as opposed to just not supporting it at all. And I think yeah. that really just resonated because I think we're humans like have gotten ourselves into the situation where animals depend on us now. It, I just don't see a future where we won't have eating meat as part of our lives so i think the only compromise is to try and inform yourself as much as possible and step on the other side of the scale demand good meat. yeah and demand yeah. good meat and yeah. actually running a kitchen and running a cafe or a restaurant like that's a great way to put you in a place of influence yeah, yeah it does absolutely. Yeah. yeah yeah and that's one of the nice things for us as well where we, where we are yeah we get and to use good meat and meat that's been reared by people we know in some cases yeah absolutely and, and then, then we and then that and talk share about that with people and talk yeah. to them so people come in who may not be thinking about these kinds of things yeah, like, yeah. well you know, guess what yeah guess what you're gonna eat somebody yeah. came up to me the other day in work and uh, we had a special on which was a pork liver terrine thing mm. and the guy was like oh this pork like thing was amazing and I was like thank you so much we know those pigs mm. they're owned by a friend of ours and we met them and they went to slaughter at the weekend yeah. and like they were processed here and so that was left over so that in the way that we're talking about like the whole animals using them and they were reared as close to their natural habitat as possible they're running yeah. around just clearing Woodlands. Woodlands. Having know, a gorgeous time, yeah. yeah. And so it was like one of those nice times when when somebody was able to say, that was delicious, and you were yeah. able to go, I'll tell you why. Yeah. Do you know? Exactly. It's yeah. because... Because they had loads of brioche. Because they... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Carrot cakes. <laughs> Working on that farm, was like, it was a really positive, like, reinforcing experience. And then, like, on the other side of it, myself and Ash, like, were living in, in Wellington for three months, and we just needed jobs. And so I ended up working uh, in a Mexican restaurant as a kitchen porter. And sort of working on that farm and seeing the way that those guys worked, that was like, I wanted to emulate that and to do mm. things the way they were doing it. On the other hand, working in that restaurant, you know, you, you learn from every experience and it's not always positive. And working in that restaurant is me going like, there's absolutely no way I ever want to work in a kitchen that's like, and like, I'm not saying this place was awful, but it was normal. You know, yeah, it was a, a normal, yeah. busy Mexican restaurant where you're buying in like 25 kilos of diced chicken breast to, yeah. go to cook and put into a burrito and then... Actually, that's when I kind of started eating meat again because 
the amount of like food that was just getting sent back and everything was getting thrown in the bin. Yeah. And, you can't and bear to see that. Yeah. Yeah. Like a, so a you just start eating sent. it all. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's like yeah. when food comes back into the kitchen, like the first place it usually goes to is towards like the washer barrier and the dishwasher. Mm. And I'm just seeing all this food getting thrown into the bin. Yeah. And like a perfectly good burrito that's come back because it was cold nobody's touched it and you're just yeah. watching it go into the bin and you're yeah. just really like it's sickening. it feels yeah. so wasteful yeah, it's re- extremely extremely wasteful and that's yeah and i just started eating it all and that's and then it's like oh i'm eating meat again now it wasn't okay. like a, a conscious decision of going waking up and going i'm gonna be a meat eater again it was just again it was just sort of a bizarre thing where it was just but it was the wastefulness of it i suppose and i, th- yeah. I know that Aoife, that's one that you particularly and i do as well but you get properly upset when <laughs> meat so goes annoying. in the bin yeah you are I'm but so <laughs> but yeah. when meat goes in the I bin i try to have zero meat waste at yeah. the end of every day in the kitchen i know yeah. i wreck heads about it but it's kind of the final salute to the animal if you can try not to throw a little gastro definitely yeah the yeah. animal and into the bin at the end of the day okay so you're in a situation where you're using maybe not the ideal way of working with meat but you know you're kind of stuck in the situation where okay like we're working with chicken breasts and all this kind of stuff the least you could do is make sure you're not wasting it and throwing it in the mm. bin yeah it's um, the absolute least you can do yeah and yeah. I think maybe that a lot of that comes down to like the quality and the provenance of actually what you're working with because yeah. if you kind of flip it over and talk about vegetables like I can't remember the last time we threw anything from the McNally's in the bin yeah. but do you know how many onions or heads of garlic or like just sort of moldy bits of tomato go in the bin and you sort yeah. of I mean it's we because you're not connected it. to yeah, it. Yeah, you're it's not connected to it. The closer you are yeah. to understanding where something comes from. Yeah. You know, I remember when we all went to Finlock at one point um, in Roscommon, which I was a small go. organic grower, and I helped harvest those edible flowers that they send up to us, and I was like, I'm never throwing one of these out yeah, again. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah, yeah. backbreaking yeah, stuff, yeah. you know? So it's from a flower to a cow, the more you know about yeah. the product you're working with, the, the, the more respect you're going to totally, get. Totally, you know? yeah. Keith, that is really fascinating stuff especially yeah. the thought about the scales and kind of being more active part in meat consumption you know instead of just going I don't want to think about this anymore I'm going to step out of the whole but thing by voting with your money I suppose that one thing because supporting it, because it, is, it is economics yeah. that are going to be kind of yeah. pushing this thing one way or the other yeah. and that, this thing I didn't really consider either and that's one thing I loved about living in London actually there are lots of very very good butchers that have a real passion for where their meat comes from the tradition is a, more there's a chain called the ginger pig I think there were two oh or three yeah. did you ever come across those guys they Heard were the name, wonderful yeah. the first yeah. time I ever ate good beef was from there really it's like, oh my yeah. god what have I been eating all my life this <laughs> yeah. tastes like meat you know and yeah For us, we're actually in like a very good position a very good position and a very like a position of like a very influential position because you can say like okay I'm going to guarantee that every time you come in and sit down in the fumbly or every time you come down and you sit down and feel like you're supporting the way that I want to do things, mm-hmm. um, which is great because maybe people, they feel like they don't have any options to, to do things the right way. But at least by, if there's a few of us around who are slowly trying to change things, then yeah. like bit by bit we'll get there. Keith Coleman from Fiat in Rapgar. Thank you so much for coming in and speaking to us. That has been really, really fab. Fascinating chat. Loads to think about. Thank you very much. Thanks. So for today's episode, we felt it was important to look beyond the food industry and ask some questions outside the usual discussion around meat eating and the morality of it all. To help us delve a little deeper into this, we're delighted to be joined in the studio by Dr. Lillian Alvice, Professor of Philosophy in Dublin's Trinity College. Uh, Welcome to the show, Lillian. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. It's the first time we've had a philosopher on with relish and I'm really excited about it because, as Harry knows, I listen to a lot of philosophy podcasts. You do. And try to to take a sort of... (laughs) big step back from a lot of big issues and I think meat eating is one that deserves a huge step back from. So I suppose what I'm really interested to know is how meat eating 
I mean, it's so ingrained in our culture as normal and ethically sound for the most part. And can you just talk us a little bit through, I suppose, the ethics of meat eating, Lillian, and where that's popped up in the history of ideas, if it has at all, um, and whether you have any insights as to kind of how, in the West in particular, we're so comfortable with eating something that was a sentient being up until mm. quite recently. Well, I guess in the 1970s, it's become a really big theme. Um, and it started... Um, um, I think Ryla started it, but um, but Singer then took it up, yeah. and and that's sort of the whole argument that you know we have arguments against racism yeah. and against um, dis discrimination, dis people being disabled, um, um, women, <laughs> slaves, yeah. and black, and um, what about animals? And so the term instead of racism that was sort of coined was speciesism yeah and that the idea is you know that, that we somehow want to somehow say that we're different to others and based on the notion of a species we can somehow have a right to kill and eat other animals and is this really right or, or not and so these kind of thinkers they really try to undermine it want to really say that there are animal rights and i guess singer really created a huge movement about this but there is I guess historically also, um, the debate about animal rights does sort of come up, or at least about meat-eating. I don't think so much about rights. So I think on the whole, I would say, within the philosophy, there is an agreement that animals do not have rights because they don't have a sense of morality and they don't have a sense of duty. And the idea of duty and rights somehow go together. But at the same time, there is sort of an apprehension about doing wrong to animals without any reason. So just causing suffering without any reason. But quite often that argument goes hand in hand, not so much because one is concerned about the animal, but because one is concerned about our own moral sensibility. Mm. So the, the question you have, um, which Kant poses, you find it again repeated in Rousseau, is sort of the idea that when I really make an animal suffer, um, and I do it for without any reason. So it's not because I'm, I I need to eat meat or I need to survive because an animal threatens my own my own life or the life of others. Then it actually creates a brutality within me. It so it 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 debases me morally, and so the it makes me morally degenerate to some extent. So so the argument isn't so much that the poor animal will really suffer and therefore you know. Um, we feel sorry, sorry for it, but we actually should start feeling sorry for ourselves. And you have sort of Rousseau, and Rousseau is the one, and Kant was, I guess, very influenced by Rousseau. Rousseau was very interested that what we actually share with animals is that we have feelings. So animals have feelings, they're sentiment, we have sentiment, and then the argument is obvious, is always there, but what, what is it what we have, what's different between us? And the best difference for Rousseau is that we, we can fear death. So we're really scared of death. Um, an animal, he thinks, is not... Uh, hasn't got that concept of death. And um, we also have free will. So we can make choices in the sense that an animal cannot make choices. We have reason, but we have sentiment. And sentiment we really share with animals. And so, again, for that reason, there's a sense of... Uh, there's no sense in being cruel to the animal without any reason. And, indeed, there are passages, not many, but where he sort of suggests, without suggesting that we should become vegetarian, but he suggests maybe children we should bring up as as vegetarian, and maybe cultures who are meat eaters tend to be more brutal than other cultures. 
So Rousseau is somebody who has also an interest that, okay, on one hand, we are different, we've got freedom, we've got free will, but on the other hand, also, this makes us much more demonic, nearly, or brutal, because we have wars, we, we actually kill each other. Animals would never kill each other without a reason. So uh, we're superior, but not necessarily superior, always in a good way <laughs> to animals, but yes. there's a sense sort of that, that we should care about them but not, and and the reason is that we should care about them, that they're sentient beings. So somebody like, in the Enlightenment, like Descartes would say, well, I'm not really interested in animals because they, we don't share anything with them. <laughs> they're like machines. Yes. So as soon as you give them feeling or sentiment, then that kind of criteria comes out. What we're talking about here is, I suppose, the development of the idea that animals do have some commonalities, I suppose, with yeah. humans. Yeah. Um, and as that has developed... Um, different thinkers have suggested that we should think more compassionately towards them. But at the same time, we know more about animals now than we ever have. Mm. Um, we've got so much data, we've got so much information and so much insight into how they think, how they behave. You know, I always hear people, talk, activists in particular, talking about how pigs are so dog-like, they're so yeah. playful and friendly and inquisitive and fun. And so we've all this information on one hand, and then ethically, we seem to be totally comfortable with mass producing, mass rearing, you know, factory farming animals. And I'm just kind of wondering, what are the mental gymnastics that people are doing to be so aware on one hand of how meat is produced? I mean, it's not immediate in the sense I don't see animals being slaughtered on a production line. But, but at the you're same aware time, of its I know about it. Yeah. And most mm. people who, you know, use the Internet or talk to people or read newspapers from time to time, it's on their radar. Yes. They know it's there. So what what is it about humans that allows them to kind of have knowledge about something intellectually and then emotionally just kind of ignore it? Do you have any insight into well, that? That's something in general we do, I guess, because mm. of convenience and custom. Mm. But there is also something, you know, but we do differentiate. So, for example, because you do factory farming, I mean, you can be meat eater and be against factory farming. Yeah, Whether you can consistently be meat eater and against factory farming is questionable because yeah. I don't know if you can produce enough meat yeah. for everybody for everyone, if you yeah. don't have factory farming. So there, there's an inconsistency, I guess, in there as well. I think um, that is a question in general, how much can we live up to our ideals? And I think in so many, and meat eating is just one of them, I mean, in so many areas, um, we fail. Yeah. Mm. But uh, we can fail in a lazy way and say, well, we just fail and everybody fails and that's why we're not doing it. And in a certain sense, we are herd animals and we quite like just following what other people do. But sometimes, as you rightly say, we suddenly f face a puzzle and then and then we do start questioning and it, it can throw us out and can throw us t into a situation where we will change our conduct of life. But... Having said that, with meat eating, I do find it interesting that most people I know, I happen to be vegetarian myself, but most people I know who who are vegetarian also quite often didn't like meat. Yeah. Um, so I haven't really met many vegetarians who say, I love meat, and I I just gave it up out of moral reasons, for, for moral reasons. And I think partly it is because maybe, as I just gave gave the example it isn't actually that clear cut that one can give that much of a good account why categorically one should never ever ever eat meat or maybe it just doesn't cut that deep um i don't know i mean there are obviously very strong arguments for vegetarians why they yeah. do it but i think quite often it isn't the argument that sways them to something else 
it is more the the, the distaste the, the anyway yep. yeah yeah i i have often heard from some friends of mine who are vegetarians that they find the frying bacon is the thing that gets them that yeah. there's one moment where like that is the bit where that's kind of the call to meat again that they have to resist i have heard of that yeah. um but it's but one thing that i am curious about is yeah. that when i'm forced to, to examine the way that i eat and work with meat i find myself becoming extremely like intellectualist do you know mm. that I am? I find myself kind of like valuing certain lives based on yeah. how smart, smart or sentient I deem them to be, yeah. which is like the most um, arrogant thing yeah. to do. Or is inconsistent to say that, in a yeah, sense. is to say yeah. that a chicken is not very smart, so I'm happy yeah. to eat that. So I shall gobble it. Yes, yeah. uh, and and the sheep is not terribly smart. They keep on falling down ditches, so I'll eat them. <laughs> but a pig, on the other hand, a pig can learn tricks, so I don't want to eat that. Do yeah, you know, like there, like it. It seems like it's an arbitrary, stupid way of doing it, but it's somehow I have. Yeah, and I mean, rats are super smart and they're repulsive. Is there something in that? Is that part of the reason why we don't eat rats? Or mm. is, you know, yeah. and dolphins, the idea of eating is absolutely <laughs> abhorrent Bar- as barrack. well. Yeah. Yeah. And then at the same time, we, you know, delight in eating octopus, mm. I think most of us. But it turns out that octopuses are some of, they're almost on par with humans in terms of intelligence. It's just such an alternative sort of intelligence articulated in such a different way that we don't really recognise mm. it. But you're absolutely right. It's such a strange thing. We... We kind of grade the validity of an animal based on how smart we perceive it to be. Well, I think there's an anthropocentrism going on as well, that we mirror ourselves yeah. and, and, and then we try to draw this distinction. I guess historically, and I guess that that's where sort of singer and people come in, one try to sort of create precisely that kind of demarcation. So what actually, so I just cited Kant beforehand, as Enlightenment thinker, and he said, what makes us distinct is that we can have duties or we have a sense of morality. The claim is animals don't have. They might be sentient beings. They might have a some sense of rationality mm. going on, but not the full-blown sense of human rationality which we have. So, so the claim behind that is somehow, yes, we are distinct. Whether that must necessarily means superior is a different question. But we are somehow distinct, and distinctiveness is normally somehow linked, and it comes from Plato already, from to logos, to, to reason, or to, to, to moral sense. And obviously, or not obviously, and the more we see that in, in the animal, I mm. guess the more resistant we are, therefore, maybe of, of killing or, killing or eating yeah. that animal. But I think that all the other aspects do also, and, and then, you know, the question is, do these categories really, are they firm enough? Are they sound enough or not? And I guess the truth of the matter is we never really know what an animal feels, what an animal thinks, because we cannot share that. So there is an anthropocentrism going on. So when we see an animal wince, we say they must be feeling pain yeah. the way I feel pain, but we, we have no way of, of knowing it. So there is, but there is also a cultural thing. So, for example, most people i would assume living in ireland or uk or in germany they would uh, they would st- find disgust when people eat dogs yeah and that's because they they have dogs <laughs> yeah and they keep them at home and they're domesticized and they like them so when they go to cultures um where they eat dogs we have the headlines always how brutal and cruel and just dis- and, and disgusting they are so it's partly just culturally also how m- how close again we see ourselves so we have domesticated the animal We've seen it as a pet, nearly as our child, as our companion. And then obviously we wouldn't eat that friend. Um, Whereas if we're in cultures where the dog is much more seen as wild and and fearful and and not that useful for for our well-being, then it doesn't seem that much of a sacrilege to actually kill it. So we also... We also, I guess, are culturally sort of snobbish yeah. in it as well, that we sort of, 
think the eating horse meat is, is sort of a sim similar example. Why is it so different to eating horse meat to eating sheep? I mean, yeah, it's totally really arbitrary. Yeah. It's totally arbitrary. But yeah. I, I, but I am. I do ha in my head when you ask that question. Like, there's. I have a reason. It's not a real reason, but I'm like. Horses are like strong, noble creatures <laughs> that like pull um, barges along the mm. canals and they were transport and they were this and their yeah. function was as like faithful steed to get yeah. you from A to B and to transport materials and this and the other, whereas a sheep is meat. Plus, I you know, really like believe there's an aesthetic thing to that. I think horses are very beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. You know, they look majestic. Yeah. And like you say, strong and glossy and have very soulful, you know, in my mind, yes. if this irrational thought, they have a soulful face. Yeah. You know, they obviously have noble thoughts, which is complete <laughs> crap. Absolutely. But it is, or it may or may not be, but it's just this perception yeah. that I have of them that makes me think so they, how we they're just not food yeah. in them. But yeah. then I, I do think that, to come back to the factory farming, because I do think that's a very strong pull for, for, for people. So if you go, and you have that probably restaurant like this, there's, there's a restaurant just around here, this, a Spanish one, and they, they, they sort of sell these chicken wraps, and they once told me how many chicken they, they get a day, and yeah. it's like buckets and buckets and buckets yeah. full oh. of kilo. And then you feel quite, uh, quite a sense of dis disgust and much yeah. more than when you just have your one chicken there. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So there is also we have a disgust against this mass production of um and then if you do see how they how they're bred and how they yeah. I do think that I said, you know, people don't are quite often vegetarian not for because they just don't like meat. But I think also there are those who went and saw this factory farming and yeah and how sort of the chicken pick each other's eyes out and, and it becomes and unnatural. And then you, know, you just feel such disgust. And yeah. I don't yeah. want to be part, don't of, want to be part chain, of that. You know, yeah. and um, which which I think is a different thing to the anthropocentric. It's just, and that comes back again to the cruelty question that maybe we become more cruel by actually treating, yeah, thinking there's right in treating animals in that way, uh, causing unnecessary. Suffering. It's interesting mm. what you said about um, meat eating cultures uh, being more mm. brutal or violent. Mm. Um, I suppose if you are a meeting, I, I mean, there are that's vegetarian cultures. Sorry, you quoted I suppose it, like it's a really interesting theory that you know having daily experience of killing, killing being completely part of the. I, I don't mean physically you carrying it out, but eating something that you know has been slaughtered. Does that filter down into culture and just make it kind of more comfortable or more normal? For that well, culture to well, there's certainly practice a violence of other to kinds. killing. A lot of us have. So I, I have a lot of friends who would say I eat meat, but I don't like to see the whole animal on the yeah. table. I find that disgusting. So I like eating bits of meat, but I don't. Or I, I, they would never want to kill. They would find killing an animal or just seeing it skinned or absolutely absolutely revolting. So yeah. or putting a, a whole tongue on a table and then mm. eating pieces of it, or, or eat certain parts of the. The meat we don't eat, or some people don't eat because they think it's disgusting. An eye, mm, <laughs> an animal, yes. um, and so you know we're we're quite hip hypocritical when yeah. it, when, it, when, it, when it when it comes comes to these things. And as you rightly say, we're not at all consistent with this. Yeah, that's um, exactly what I was going yeah. to say. So that I feel like the upshot yeah. of this, and it's something I suppose I felt already, but this reinforces mm. is that we're just totally irrational when it comes to ethical questions. Absolutely, you know, I find that sometimes when we're like making the board in work. That uh, when I this say is writing up like our menu for yeah. the day to describe what's going mm -hmm. on. Sometimes, mm -hmm. if we, if I if use language that is too human-like, if you give something yeah. the quality that a human has, like a shoulder, neck, or a neck, yeah. or a cheek, and all these things, people don't, they don't want to know. So, yeah. like, mm -hmm. cheek becomes a daub, yeah. and a shoulder becomes 
yeah. deleted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Rubbed off the yeah, board yeah, and neck. Pork, yeah, we know? just, you know, braised lamb instead of lamb neck. Yes, given um, those kind of specific things there because people are... And, as you and said, we're before, yeah. feeding that to people. No, we're obviously feeding food to people. Yeah. We're, we're reinforcing that because there have been a few times when I've left, out of curiosity, I've, you know, left uh, cheek, mm-hmm. you know, with the that cow dish that I do, um, beef dish that I do. Um, <laughs> you leave the word cheek in there and it sells, you That's know. That's also a real distinction though is the difference between cow and beef. Yeah. Because in most of the languages that, well, I don't know about most of the languages, but I know in lots of Latin languages that is not the case. Yeah. That That's actually a Norman, inf- Norman influence on English that the refined French words and then the like English bog words yeah. were kept separate. So kitchen versus field kind of thing. But when you're talking about it in Spanish anyway, you know, yeah. like, like it's all the same. It's all the same. This yeah. I'm eating pig. I'm, I'm eating, eating pig yeah. meat now. Do you know what this is? What's yeah. going on? Yeah. But culturally, the Brits like four or five hundred years ago stopped referring to I'm sitting down to a plate of cow. They used the refined French word. But that further Oof. distances you yeah. from... Completely. Yeah. Dr. Lillian Alvice, thank, thank you. you so much for coming in to us today. Thank you. It's um, really been a great perspective. Yeah. yeah. And I really hope people listen at home and just think about it a little more. We're not preaching. We're, we're not, not pre- trying to change yeah. anyone's mind. It's just to take a little step back sometimes from these norms and see how comfortable we are with them <laughs> and whether there are small changes you might want to make. Okay. Thank you <laughs> so much thank for you coming so much. in. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening into this episode of With Wellish. We would like to thank all our guests for taking time out to come on with us. As mentioned at the beginning of the show, we are a fortnightly podcast, so make sure to check out headstuff.org for our next show. You can download the show on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn and all the usuals. If you like what you've heard, please let us know by writing us a review or following our Twitter page at WithRelishPod. HPN, the Headstuff Podcast Network. See headstuff.org for more details.